Today we're starting a new series called Doomsday Preppers. Everybody say Doomsday Preppers. Oh, uh, you can do better than Doomsday Preppers. And I got to help you. I know some of you guys are new to our church, and so let me just help you a little bit. Um, uh, what we are and what we're like, so you can you can get a little bit of better picture. Um, so I I didn't grow up in in um, in church with a lot of white people. Um, uh, and the reason why that's important is because white people, black folks, Hispanic folks, we're all a little different in the way we respond to things. Um, for example, all my black friends, when we go to a movie, uh, my black friends talk the whole time. I mean, the whole time, like, man, don't go up in that house, you're going to get stabbed. See, only a white dude go up in a house like that in the middle of the night. He deserves to get stabbed. White people the whole time just sit there. And they do the same thing at church, you know, white people in church just sit there. Black people, on the other hand, have taught me to preach back. So we're going to be a preach back church, all right? And so I need all the white people to get a little practice. Jesus Christ is Lord. There you go. Jesus is awesome. There you go. All right. So today, as I minister the Word of God and the truth of God comes out, you're welcome to shout back, if you will. Now, uh, you know, my, my, uh, my, my, uh, my friends have taught me, my, my, my African-American preaching friends taught me, you know it's really good um, when you're preaching if someone stands up and they give you the stinky face. He said, that's one level. He said, a whole other level is if they get up and go <laughs> like that. He said, and then the, the, the best level ever is when they start throwing money at you. Now, I don't want y'all to throw money at me or anything like that. I don't want a concussion because somebody threw a silver dollar from the back row. But, uh, but I, do wanna, I do want you to know that we're alive and, uh, and it's okay to communicate back as I minister the word. So, Doomsday Preppers, we're starting today. We're going to do three parts. It's going to be magnificent. Now, some of you guys, do you remember the A&E uh, show? I think it was on A&E. I don't think it was History Channel. Anyway, Doomsday Preppers, where they went around uh, following all these people who literally, there's a whole part of our society that thinks the government's going to fall apart. And, uh, and that we're all going to, um, you know, their biological warfare is going to go forward and people are going to be killing each other and trying to, and there will be no food and things like that. And so they're prepping for Doomsday, Doomsday's Prepper. For you guys who have never seen these shows that are on TV and these groupings of people, I thought we'd pull out a little bit of video clip just to kind of get you on the same page so you'd understand where the message is going today. Go ahead and roll that video clip. Doomsday Preppers Around the Nation. I am preparing for a worldwide pandemic. Before I was prepared for pandemic, I was probably spending 20 hours a day worrying about it. Those people that think they're entitled to other people's stuff, don't get the stuff given to them by the government, they're going to come and try and take our stuff. If doomsday happens, there's a lot of things I'm not going to miss. Um, the Kardashians. When the pandemic comes, those who are prepared will survive. Those who do not prepare will die. If someone comes out here and attempts to assault my property, we're going to lock and load and fight. Hey, I hope that doesn't happen as much as the next guy, but if it does, and you're not prepared, sorry. And so I'm taking these steps beforehand to see to it that that doesn't happen to us. Yeah, go on, give it up. So, so uh, there are people out there like this. I guess by you being quiet, you're some of them. Sorry, I didn't realize that. 
that you're, you're stockpiling cans of beans. Well, you know, actually, I, I survived Y2K. I uh, actually have a family members who uh, were uh, very, uh, um, uh, very, very involved in business in California and got so worried about Y2K uh, that they moved to Nowhereville, Louisiana on a farm and stockpiled uh, giant um, uh, tubs of rice and beans. Uh, they're still eating that rice and that beans that they stored up. And we're a little disappointed when the world didn't, uh, you know, be destroyed because of the computer, you know, that was going to go offline for Y2K and all the craziness that was going to happen. In fact, um, I, you know, I survived the 80s. Uh, in 1988, there was a well-respected minister uh, who wrote a book, uh, 88 Reasons Why uh, the End of the World is Going to Happen in 1988, or, or, the, or God's Coming Back in 1988. And uh, at the end of 88, as we turn to uh, 1989, um, you know, we didn't die, and the world didn't come to an end. And uh, actually, he sold four and a half million copies of that book and sent 300,000 free copies to all the ministers around the nation. And, uh, and so you got to understand, as a minister in the 80s, uh, we, we thought, wow, he's coming back. And so when it didn't happen in 89, he rewrote the book. And uh, 89 reasons why he's actually coming in 89. That, that one didn't sell nearly as well. And then, um, and then kept, kept it going. I think he made it all the way to like 2004 uh, before people were like, yeah, you're just an idiot. And so um, the question on the table is, is the end near? When is the end of the world? What does the Bible say about that? And um, to be honest, as a pastor, I'm really really apprehensive uh, to really teach on these things because, you know, people have made a good living on Christian television by scaring you to death and writing novels that aren't true factual books to get you buying into all these things. And as a pastor, I want you to live by faith. I want you to know that your God will never leave you or forsake you. And whatever is not of faith is sin. And so all the fear tactics to get you to serve God or be good or whatever, are all tricks of the enemy and I've seen ministers fall into those traps and so I I just always uh, like to stay away from it but I can't get past a couple critical pieces in scripture about the end times first off one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament talk about the end or the return of Jesus one out of every 30. In other words, Jesus was talking many times of, of, of his 30 messages or so 10 of them were about the end And so Jesus made it a critical piece. 23 of 27 books of the New Testament talk about the end of time or the return of Christ. And there are four major places in the New Testament uh, where the end is discussed. And we'll give you those on the screen. Matthew chapter 24, one of the big passages. There are many passages, but these are the four big places. Uh, Thessalonians, the book of Thessalonians covers it real in depth. Uh, First and second Peter as well as the book of Revelation. Now, if you're a new Christian, I would highly encourage you, don't go read the book of Revelation just yet. Okay? Especially if you're coming off of meth or you have a dope smoking issue from back in the day. Don't do that. Okay? Now, the book of Revelation, just to kind of let you know, and most of these pieces are prophetic pieces. And the thing about the prophetic is seeing things in the future. That's what the prophetic really is about. I see something. God shows me something that's in the future. Well, can you imagine living in the 1920s trying to explain today? iPhones. You saw it. 
Can you imagine? You didn't even have words for it. You didn't have a way to articulate much, much more 2,000 years ago or even the book of Daniel at 4,000 years ago. And so you've got these prophetic pieces. And what happens is because it can be subjective prophetically because based on how you see it, you get all of these crazy doctrines and theories. You get all these people saying it's going to happen on this day, 88 reasons because, you know, the numerology and all these guys got into numerology and the number seven means this and number three. And they, they do have significance. But when they started applying them to these prophetic pieces, about the end times you get some crazy stuff and so we're going to dive in today and over the next couple of Sundays just what is happening with the end times and what does the Bible actually say about it and kind of strengthening our position and knowing what we know and be able to grasp what God said about it and here's the key answer to the question is the end near and the answer is nobody knows and let's go into Matthew chapter 24 and verse 36 and it says this is Jesus speaking we're going to read verses 36 through 39 and then skip down to 42 it says and no one knows about the day or hour not even the angels in heaven nor the son but only the father as it was in the days of Noah so it'll be in the coming of the son of man for in the days before the flood people were eating and drinking marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing Nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. And then let's get down to verse 42. It says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known on what time or night of the night uh, the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his home be broken into. Verse 44, so you must also be ready. Everybody say, be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Jesus said it like this. He goes, listen, nobody knows. Only the Father knows the exact day. So when this guy starts putting out there, it's going to happen in 1988, no, you're a liar. You don't know. Because Jesus don't know. I don't think God loves you and I so much that he's not going to tell us somebody. He's going to tell some prophet guy that lives in 2016. No one, not even the angels know the exact time or date that these things are going to happen. In fact, let's qualify that again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And they're having the kind of the same situation 40 years or so into Christianity. And he says, now verse 1 of chapter 5. Now brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write you to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and threat and safety. Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. And all the pregnant women said amen or been pregnant. Mary, yeah, kids, whatever. Yeah, when my wife, when, when, the, when, the, when the labor pain started, we knew it was time. And it says, and they will not escape. But you brothers, we'll just stop at verse 6 here. But you brothers are not in darkness so that the day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be, excuse me, let us not be like others. I love these teachings are very clear in scripture. Nobody knows when the end is coming. No one knows the exact day. So what does the scriptures do? What does the Lord Jesus qualify that with? By saying, listen, there'll be signs. There'll be all kinds of signs. But, but you need to understand this. You need to live ready. Everybody say, live ready. Come on, everybody say, live ready. And so Jesus said, it'll be like a thief in the night. Now, now I don't know about you, but I've had some things stolen from me in the middle of the night. And it changed me. When my, when my wife's minivan got stolen from our driveway, it changed me. For months, I sat in the window till about 3 in the morning with a, a, a weapon of my choice beside me, 
hoping that them suckers would try to come back and steal the other car. Left the keys on the... No, I'm just kidding. But, but it, it, it marked me. And had I known that they were going to come that night, I, I wouldn't have went to bed. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's what he's talking about, to live ready. But nobody knows the exact time or the moment in which it's going to happen. And so what has to happen is, is we've got to be able to see the signs. In fact, in one passage, Jesus says, you can tell that the, that the rain is about to come because you can see the clouds in the sky. How can you not tell the seasons in which you live in? And so Jesus and the Holy Scripture give us a number of signs to tell that it's on its way, that it's coming, that it's about to happen. In fact, the last generation will see all of the signs fulfilled in their generation. They will have been fulfilled. And so that way they can know that it's our generation, that it's probably going to transpire. Every generation has thought it was theirs, especially when you talk about Antichrist. You know, everybody's thought their president was the Antichrist at some point. Everybody's thought, you know, somebody, John Lennon, somebody, you know, was, was the false prophet all throughout the years, but there are some signs that are clear in scripture that we can look to. Now, what are signs? A sign, when you're going down the highway and you're on vacation or you're, going, you're traveling somewhere and you see that green sign that says Burger King 20 miles ahead, you start going, <laughs> in 20 miles, we're going to get us a waffle with cheese. Why? Because the sign tells you what is to come, what is going to happen. It, it, it's not the thing that's happening, it's what is to come. And so we see a number of signs in the New Testament especially we're going to look at today and be able to see, hey guys, uh, this isn't just a guesswork. The signs are being checked off one at a time. In fact, there's really only probably one, and it's arguable whether it's been, it's been finished or not, but most all the signs have already come into play. And so let's start with the first sign, and that is that, that I'm bringing forward to you today, and that is a degenerative society, a degenerate society. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, or an immoral society. In verse 1, it says, But mark this, there will be terrible times when? In the last days. Everybody say last days. Last day. And people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. And so one of the first signs that we see that Timothy is, uh, the book of Timothy is given, as Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, listen, in the last days, th there'll be a sign. He said, and what that will be is that, that people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure. They'll be rash. They'll be brutal. Friend, I don't know about you, but this has got to be some of the most immoral societies that have ever graced the planet of the earth. I'm telling you right now, the earth, it's unbelievable to see. Jamie and I were watching Dateline last night. And, and this guy kills his best friend and his girlfriend because he, was, he needed money to marry his girlfriend. So he, he, and the guy's a vet. He, he served, in the Gulf, uh, he served uh, overseas. And he, he gets him upstairs and he kills him, hacks his body in little bitty pieces and goes, hides his body. Then calls his girlfriend over, shoots her and leaves her as though the, 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 her dead boyfriend did it and took all the guy's money and all of his credit cards and stuff. And then he played it out as though he didn't know anything about it. And then he finally got caught. Friend, that is wicked. That is crazy wicked. I mean, you cannot turn on the news where somebody's not just getting mad, but they're taking machine guns and shooting everybody at malls and stuff. We are living in some of the most immoral, degenerate times in the history of the planet. When you talk about how vile we are when it comes to pleasure, we are the most uh, sexually 
deviant generation to ever grace the United States. Your grandparents would roll over in their grave if they knew that their great-grandbabies can take an iPhone and at the little touch of, of a button see the most vile sexual activity known to man at six, seven, eight, and nine years old. In fact, the average age to see porn for the first time is somewhere around their nine-year nine age. Can you imagine what that's doing to an entire generation to mention all the violence and all the rebellion to parents where families are abandoning one another anymore. No one even stays as family anymore and, and, and fights for one another. This right here, I would say this sign, you could check it off. It's happening in our midst, has transpired, and is upon us even now. And then let's go to the next one, and that is wars and rumors of wars. Look at Matthew 24, verse 6 through 8, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Boy, that's what's happening. And all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. And so anyone who's ever been uh, uh, with child or anyone who has a family member that gave birth and you were there with them in the process, you remember they carried that child right at the nine-month range and then all of a sudden one day they go, oh! Why? Because the birth pain start, which means you're going to start pushing here soon, and that baby's coming out. For some of you, you know, 22 hours, you know, some of you, you know, three hours, some of you, God bless you, an hour. I mean, I know some of them ladies. And so it just, but it was the beginning of it, and that's what it's saying, is these wars and rumors of wars, these are but the beginning of the birth pains. I don't know if you understand this, but uh, but we are in co conflict, all of the nations of the world for the most part. In fact, the Global Peace Index has identified that only 10 countries on the planet right now are not in war or in conflict. There's only 10 of them that are not in some type of conflict or war. And I thought, wow, that's strange when I read that. And uh, I was Googling it back and forth like, what, what, how can you say that? And here's how they qualify what war or conflict is. And the, the, so the Global Peace Index gauges peace by three broad things. Number one, the level of safety and security in a society the extent of domestic and international conflict, and number three, the degree of militarization that they're having uh, and, and what they're reporting about. And so they're actually saying if you've got uh, violence in a city, they're calling that obviously a, 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 a low peace index. You have a war, you have a conflict going because you've got all this fighting and stuff in your streets, and only 10 nations that they've been able to identify as having peace the rest of us are all in some type of conflict or some type of war. And can you imagine? That's right now on the planet today. All of these conflicts, does that not qualify this prophetic word that Jesus gave forth? There will be wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and famines. How about this next one? And that is um, in some of the tribulation pieces. Let me kind of give you these. Uh, in the midst of the tribulation, there are some things that are going to happen. But they can't happen until things have changed in the world today. And one of those pieces is that there will be a 200 million man army that comes from the east. And I'll read that from Revelation chapter 9. It says, the number of the mounted troops has 200 million. And I heard their numbers. And then in Revelation 16, 12, it says that this 200 million are from the kings of the east. Now, let me help you qualify that. Never in the history of the world has there ever been able to be a group of gathering of 200 million warriors. To fight. Never has there been that. That's not been possible until now. And I'll give you what, and it says the kings of the east. Well, in scripture, anytime it says east or north or west, it's in reference to Jerusalem. 
It's in reference to the east. It's not talking about the United States. I know we think we're the center of the world. But it's east of Jerusalem. It's west of Jerusalem, if you will. And the kings of the east. Do you know what's east of Jerusalem that could put together a 200 million man army? Oh, I don't know. China and India, who both have, what, over a billion people each, I guess. India's pressing that number. Can you imagine that? They can do that right now. That could be assembled right now. That couldn't be assembled before. It just wasn't possible. There were no nations that actually had that many people to bring together that many troops. And so in the book of Revelation, in the midst of the tribulation, it says this 200 million man army is going to happen. Well, that was never a prophecy that we could, or, or, or a fact that we could ever give credence to because there was no way to put that kind of numbers together until today, until now, until what's happening in the world today. Also in the tribulation, it talks about this situation that's going to transpire with the two prophets or the two preachers, if you will. And it says for three and a half years, they'll be preaching truth and, and literally enraging the world because they're, it's unadulterated truth. They can preach it like, and they have power to do whatever they want to do. And so whenever a nation says, or a group of people says, we don't believe in this God you're talking about, they're able to say, because of your unbelief, you're going to have famine. And they have famine. That's what it says. It says they're having, can you, ooh, wouldn't that be fun preaching? And so, uh, and, but three and a half years, and no one can kill them, it says. No one can kill them. Until the end of the three and a half years in the middle of the tribulation where the Antichrist is able to kill them. And then as a result, have this power that you were able to kill these guys. And so as, they, as he's able to kill them, he's able then to take the authority of, of the nations and whatnot and so forth. But let's pick up in Revelations chapter 11 and verse 8. And look what it says. And their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse to bury them. How can every human on the planet gaze upon their bodies? Could not happen seven years ago. Could not happen 10, 20 years ago. The only way it could happen, and you and I, all of you begin to yell it out, through the internet, through all of these global, through, through these satellite feeds, right now, from your iPhone, you can watch something live happening anywhere in the world that you want to watch it. It, it. All of us can see it at one time. For three days, everybody on the planet, there's not one person that does not have the ability to see that. Now you say, well, there's some remote places that don't have that technology yet. Friend, the technology is there. That's the point. It was never there before. It was there. These are just signs. That doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow. doesn't mean the end of the world is going to transpire next year. It doesn't, we don't know the time or the season. But he said, but these signs, pay attention to the signs. Because that means you're getting closer and closer and closer. And the last day's generation will have all of those signs having been accomplished. All of those moments being able to check off the list. That has happened, that has happened, and that has happened. And one of the key and last final signs... Uh, that we would say is still yet maybe not to be quite fulfilled, but maybe is, and that is that the gospel is preached to every tongue. And that's out of Mark chapter 13, verse 10. And it says, and the gospel must first be preached to all the nations, and then the end can come. And so let me just give you a little bit of input on that. First and foremost, we have now identified, and we did it about 20 years ago or so, we've identified the over 2,000 people groups of the nations of the world. And we were able, as 
Christians uh, some 25 years ago or so, the Christian leadership was able to identify the unreached people groups. And I'm so grateful for my, my friends at Wycliffe and all they're doing to translate the Bible into these languages that, that have no Bible, have no word. We sent missionaries to what we call the 1040 window, the greatest uh, concentration uh, of, of unreached people groups. People have never heard the name of Jesus or heard the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, preached or taught and so forth and so on. And friend, can I tell you something? It is happening on our watch. It is happening right now. People are coming to Christ at a rate of three times the population growth. 170,000 copies of the Bible per day are being distributed. China reports 35,000 new converts every day. There are 2.2 billion profession, out of 7 billion, professing Christians on the planet. Friend, we are living in the most exciting times in the history of the world. There are more Christians right now on the planet, alive right now, than there ever have been over the last 2,000 years combined. There are more right now. God is moving on the earth. I know you're trying to re-get your old school revival from back in the day, whenever you fell on the ground and shook a little bit, but friend, you're standing in the midst of revival and don't even realize it because Jesus cares a lot less about gold dust and a lot more about the broken souls of the world coming back to the Father. Are you with me? Say yes. This is what's happening in the earth. These signs are coming to pass right in our midst. They are upon us. I don't know what day it's going to be. I can't tell you the date. I can't tell you the time. I wouldn't even try because no man knows it. But I'll tell you one thing. The signs are being fulfilled. And Jesus said it like this. We better be ready. Live ready, watch and be ready, and stand before the Lord your God when that moment happens with all confidence and faith and security and know that my God is for me and not against me. So how do we prep? How do we prep? We know that the signs are being fulfilled. We know that we're seeing these things happen in our midst. What do we do? How do we prep? I think it is wise to be prepared for the end of the world. Well, there's a beautiful passage that actually teaches us what to do. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to take it right out of Scripture, not out of my opinion. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. It says, And the end of all things is near. Everybody say, is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Verse 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So let me give you from this passage of Scripture the three or four things that I see that this Scripture is saying how we should prepare for the end. Number one, we should be clear-minded, self-controlled. We should Pray so that we can pray. Friend, don't negate how beautiful prayer is. Listen, how do you prepare for the end of it all? Pray. Spend time with the Lord. Can I explain something to you? Prayer is not throwing up requests. Prayer is interacting with the God that you serve, love, and know. Let me give you an example of what I'm trying to say. When I hang out with my Brazilian friends, I don't even realize it. I start acting like them. I start eating chocolate and steak and cheese on everything. I love, I love Brazil. When I'm hanging out with my Latino friends, I start rolling my R's. I say, man, I'll tell you right now, that's some good stuff right there. I don't even know I'm doing it. And they're looking at me like, look, white boy, don't do that, okay? 
you can't, I just can't help it. I mean, I start longing for tortillas when I'm hanging out with my Hispanic friends. I mean, I, I just, because whoever you spend time with, you start acting like, and you start being like, you start talking about what they're talking about. Think about it. If you start hanging out, you didn't even care about sports or the Cowboys until about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, when some of your friends were like, eh, what do you think about the Cowboys? And you're like, I don't know. I, didn't, I haven't watched the TV. I need to. And now, all of a sudden, you're an expert. You think Dax is the man. I mean, you don't ever want to see Romo again. And you didn't even know who Dax was. I mean, you didn't keep up with spring camp or training or anything, who they recruited. And now all of a sudden, you're talking the lingo. Why? Because you're hanging out with sports people. You love it. Jamie and I, years ago, when we were youth pastors, we had this one kid. We laughed at this kid, not with him, at him. I'm telling you right now. This kid, he's a white kid, and I don't know what was going on in his mind that year. He was having a nervous breakdown, a crisis. He started the year. This is, I'm not exaggerating. He started the year roping cows. So he came to youth group, he had the big old belt buckle, he had the, t- he had the tight, you know, Levi jeans, and the little skull hole in the back, whole thing. He had the hat going and everything. And, uh, and about three months into it, he decided he didn't want to be with that, and he started hanging out with all, with all the R&B kids. I mean, next thing you know, he's got his hat on sideways, his britches are all baggy and stuff. He's like, look, dog. I'm like, bro, you were just saying <laughs> cowboy lang- lingo, and now you're doing look, dog. Uh, and rapper stuff, okay. And then he did that for a few months, and then and then sports started up at school. So he started playing baseball. So next thing you know, he started coming all preppy with all his little baseball sports gear. We laughed at that kid. I laughed at him. I, I, I started telling him, I, I can't wait till next Wednesday night to see who you're going to be next Wednesday. Because whoever he was hanging out with, that's how he's acting. Can I tell you what prayer is? Hanging out with Jesus. You'll start acting like him, talking like him, being like him. That's what prayer is. Prayer is not, you know, are you up there? <laughs> Do you hear me? Friend, we're believers. We're his sons and daughters. You say, well, I don't know if he's talking back. Yes, he is. Just listen, watch, observe. He's there with you. He's speaking to you. He said, well, I don't know his words that well. That's why you got to get in the Bible because then you'll recognize that's him, that's not him. Because it lines up with what he's already said in his word. And he's already said it, and so it stands forever as truth. And so if it, come, if it goes against what's in the Bible, you know it's not him. It's you being crazy or some crazy thought in your mind. Here's a second thing that this passage in Peter tells us to do, and that is, I've titled it, Focus on Relationships. It says, love deeply. Show hospitality to one another. Can I tell you something? If you don't focus on relationships, you're going to be a lonely individual. You say, I'm just not good with people. I know. You need to change. He said, I just, I just don't know how to talk to people. Try. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. You just walk up to them. You say, well, I get all weird. Well, I know, but the way you overcome something is keep trying. And so, you know, you've got, listen, that's why, why do you think we're so serious and always pushing about small groups for you? Because we want you to obey the scriptures. Listen, how do you prep for the end times? You, you show hospitality, love deeply, have relationships that you're working on and developing. You said, well, our last church, I tried, man, I had some friends, and they stabbed me in the back. Well, bless God, that's terrible, and I'm so sorry for you, but try again. Try again. Just keep loving folks. That's what, that's what it's all about, being like Jesus. Uh, let me tell you, they may have stabbed you in the back, but they didn't. They stabbed him in the side after they hung him on a tree naked. And I haven't seen you naked on a tree recently, so I think you're okay. Just keep loving. Just keep trying. Just keep reaching out. Just keep developing relationships. Isn't that good? Say yes. And then the last thing it, it says to do in this passage, it says, and each one should use his gift he's received to serve others. And that's number three in, in, in this teaching, and that is you need to use your gifts. 
I want to help you with something. Some of you are coming out of situations and churches and denominations that didn't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to the extent that we understand Him in Scripture. Um, there are two workings of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. Number one, to regenerate you, to make you like Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and lives and abides in you. He teaches you. He trains you. That's what the Scripture says, the book of John, chapter 21. It, it's to lead you and guide you. But there's a second work of the Holy Spirit, and that is to empower you, to give you power. You say, oh, I didn't, we didn't get taught that, the church I came from. I know. That's why you're still struggling with the same porn you were struggling with 20 years ago. No one's ever taught you how to overcome. No one's ever told you, you got power. The same Holy Spirit who's regenerating you. See, when I got saved, before I got saved, I did not, I wasn't convicted one bit. I'd steal from you. I'd cuss you. Would I cuss you? I, I, listen, I will take from you. And once I got saved, the Spirit of the Lord came and Now I was convicted. I said, like, man, I shouldn't cuss you. I don't know why. I felt so good back in the day. Now it feels bad. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because he was regenerating me. He was making me new. But then, after I, after I realized I'm convicted about this, I was repenting for the same sin over and over at the altar. Then someone taught me about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That I actually could be baptized in the Holy Spirit and have the same power that rose Christ from the dead flowing through me. And I could, I could prophesy. I could have words of knowledge, words of wisdom. What? I thought that was just for the apostles. That's what we were taught. Why would he give me something? Why would he give the apostles something and, and cheat us all out of it? He has the same power flow through you as anyone else. He wants what it took to birth the church. It takes to sustain the church. And you need to walk in your gifts. And I'm not just talking about your administrative gift or your leadership gift out of the book of Romans. I'm talking about out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 gifts. The power gifts. Prophecy. Can I tell you something? That little lady that you're having such an issue with at work that you want to stab her when she turns her back on you. Can I tell you something? You start praying and say, Lord, use, give, me, give me the gift of prophecy. Give me the word of knowledge for her. And you start praying and stirring that gift up. Oh, God, give me a word of knowledge. And he'll give you insight and show you something. You'll come back and say, lady, I'm sorry. listen, I want to tell you something. I was praying for you last night, and I got this. Does this mean anything to you? And she'll go, what? Let me give you an example of that years ago, Jamie and I, we were traveling somewhere preaching, and, and, uh, and the pastor picked us up at the airport, brought us to a restaurant, and we were sitting at the restaurant. A little lady came over to the table, and when she walked up, something, I felt something. I don't know any other way to explain it. Some people say, I heard the voice of the Lord. I wish I heard. I don't know what I heard. I just know that I felt I was supposed to tell her something from God. And I'm looking at her, and I got this look, and she's looking at me like, are you okay? Like, look, I'm not lusting after you. I'm trying to... God wants me to tell you something, and I'm looking at her, and I'm like, all right, Lord, anytime, whatever you want me, because I got a blank. It's blank. I mean, my, there is nothing on the screen. I mean, it's blank. I mean, there's nothing. And, uh, and I'm looking. I know I'm supposed to tell her something, and so she walks off and comes back, and I'm praying, and Jamie's talking with the pastor, and he's talking to me. I'm not listening to any. I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to tell her? I know you want me to tell her something. Then I think I'm crazy. You've been there. They don't think I'm crazy. I'm just making all this up. I'm just crazy. I shouldn't have ate that pizza last night. I knew that's what I was going to do it. I just lost my mind. This whole Holy Spirit thing is weird. I don't want to do it anymore. This is stupid. I'm not going to do it. And she come back, and I get this feeling inside me. You got to tell her something. I'm like, that's great, but what do I tell her? If you tell me, could you not write it on a napkin? I mean, do, make, make my peace. Spell it out. I mean, I'll do it. Nothing, 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 nothing. I mean, I went through that whole lunch. I was so miserable. Finally, by the end, I was like, whatever. I miss God. I don't know what I'm doing. Sorry, trying to be a good minister. And, uh, and so we go to leave. Check's there, so I must have missed God. We're walking out, and, and my wife goes, hey, I need to use the restroom real quick. So she runs in the restroom, and the pastor's standing. He goes, I better go too. So he goes in the men's restroom. I'm standing in the foyer, and here she comes. Here comes our little waitress. And I'm looking at her, and I, and, and I just feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit. Just nudge me. Now! I was like, excuse me! And she goes, uh, she goes yeah? She's carrying stuff? I said, um, anytime. 
Hi. Um, hmm. And she's looking at her like, she's carrying all these plates. She's like, uh, can I help you with something? I'm like, um, so I just start rambling. Come on. Um, I'm a Christian. And I didn't want to tell her I was a pastor. They've made enough mistakes to mess everybody up. So I just, um, I'm a Christian. And, um, and, uh, um, <laughs> and this thought came across my mind. I just said it. I said, um, do you have kids? And she goes, uh, yeah, I have two kids. And as soon as she said that, God said, I heard him. That now he's, then he speaks. And I'm like, well, God told me to tell you that he's got your kids in the palm of his hand. He has it all taken care of. And she goes, <sighs> and she drops all the plates on the ground. She starts weak knee and falling down. And I'm like, that's right, God says. <laughs> palm of his hand. And she starts shaking uncontrollably. And my wife walks out of the bathroom like, what did you do to her? I'm like, I didn't do nothing. I say, if I was in, I don't know. And then tears coming down her cheek. And then she finally looks up at me. She's trying to gather herself. And she goes, actually, I have one child at home. She said, last year, my 16-year-old was kidnapped. We just found her body two months ago. She was raped and killed. She takes off running. I'm standing there. Uh, and the Lord speaks to me. He said, Adam, there's not a night that she don't put her head on her pillow that she doesn't say, God, do you have my baby girl with you? And Adam, there's not a day that as a single mom, she doesn't get up and go to work and say, God, who's going to watch over my little eight-year-old? And there's not a day that she doesn't cry because she thinks she's to blame that she didn't get her 16-year-old protected and this happened. And so when you said to her, I got him in the palm of my hands, you have no idea what you just did for that woman. <laughs> okay, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. It, it's this element that makes Christianity worth living. We're so caught up trying not to be bad that we don't realize we got gifts. And, and, and look, the end is upon us, guys. I don't know the date. The signs look pretty, like, the mile marker is getting lower and lower. I mean, it's happening in our life. I, I don't know if it's my grandkids or, I don't know. I have no idea because no one knows. But the signs sure are there. And the way we prep for it, according to this passage, is at first we start praying, man. We start interacting with our God and know our God. Number two, we start we start interacting with one another and caring for one another and securing these relationships. And you, Listen, you shouldn't be angry at anybody. You shouldn't have bitterness in your heart with anyone. If you knew tomorrow he was coming, what would you go change? Who would you go call? And the last piece that I would tell you, and it's not from this passage, but it's from the passages that we've already read, and that is you need to, number four, keep watching for Jesus. Keep watching for Jesus. You know, there's a difference between waiting on the Lord and watching for the Lord. I'll illustrate that with a little story. Where we're from in Louisiana, many of those men will work offshore on the oil rigs. And they'll work those, those boys, you know, for a month out on the oil rig away from their families. And typically what happens is when they come back, you know, they'll ride the tugboat in or, you know, they'll ride one of the boats in uh, out from the Gulf. 
and their wives are always waiting for them. And uh, in this one particular time, all the men were there, all the wives were there waiting on their husbands to get off the boats, and they're hugging and kissing and getting their cars, and they leave, and one young man is sitting there, and his wife's not there, and he sees his truck, and goes to his truck, and there's a little note on it, you know, I'm waiting for you at home, and and so he gets home, and he's real discouraged, and uh, he walks in the door, and she goes, oh, you're home, I've been waiting for you, and he goes, yeah, the other wives, they were actually watching for their husbands, the difference between waiting and watching, see, waiting is, you know, I know it's going to happen at some point, watching is, I'm watching for it to happen now, I'm expecting you to come around the bend on that boat. I can't wait till my eyes meet your eyes. I'm watching for you. I'm not just going about my everyday business. This is what Jesus was talking about when he says it'll be like the days of Noah. There's a flood coming. There's destruction coming. And they went about business as if it wasn't coming. Now listen, that doesn't mean you don't get married. Uh, listen, you got to understand, I-, I was graduating high school around 88. And this guy's prophesying that Jesus coming back. 88, and I'm not married and had had sex yet. I'm like, I bind it in Jesus' name. And every, I, I, used, to, I used to tell my friends all the time that we get engaged, you know, Jesus coming back tomorrow, you're going to miss out on honeymoon, bro. I'm just telling you, you know, <laughs> just messing with each other, you know, kind of thing. We don't know the time or the date, but Jesus is saying, listen, they're going to go about the way they were living as if it wasn't going to happen. How foolish could they be? There is a thief coming in the night. That's the illustration that he gives. It's going to happen. And you're going to be like, what? I, I just, it was just right. It's it, what? And Jesus is literally warning us, be ready. Not just, not just waiting, but watching and waiting. Be ready. Can I ask you that one more time? What would you do different? Who would you pick up the phone and call if you knew it was tomorrow? The signs are coming to, and they're, they're wrapping up. There's not a whole lot else, if anything, other than maybe this passage about the, the nations all being uh, presented the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's wrapping up. What would you do different? Would you let that broken relationship linger another day? Would you have that hatred in your, would you still have that hidden sin that you haven't made right? Would you let that go on another day? I remember, I remember January 31st, excuse me, December 31st, going into the New Year's for Y2K. And I'm telling you something, we were calling each other, we were repenting to each other, we were crying out to God, oh God, if there's anything I don't know about myself, I want to be right. Because we're not sure if tomorrow we'll all be here. If there'll be an explosion and kill us all and total chaos, that was our fear. Friend, let me tell you something. We don't know the date. We don't know the time. But the signs are wrapping up. And you and I need to live ready. Stand with me all across the room. You guys have been magnificent this morning. Thank you for allowing me to minister to you the word of God. Now I want to minister to your heart and your soul. I want to allow the Lord Jesus Christ to do do business with you today. If you'll just bow your head with me across the room and close your eyes for just a moment. What if tomorrow was the day? What would you change? What, what, what 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 if we didn't have another week left or another month left on this planet. Obviously, obviously you are serious about loving the Lord. You're in services. You're celebrating Jesus with us today. But what would you change? Would you call that wayward child who's in their 20s and say, look, can we meet? If you knew that the end was going to happen tomorrow, 
or next weekend, would you pull your boss aside and say, look, I've been a jerk for so many months, so many years now, and I just, I've misrepresented Jesus. Would you pull your stepkids in and say, you know, I've said I was a Christian, but I've been fake this whole time. And I know you see it. And I want to tell you I'm sorry. I want to repent to you. What would you do? What would you change? Friend, let me tell you something. We don't know the date. I don't know if we got 20 years, 100 years. I have no idea. But I know the signs. The signs are being fulfilled. And I don't know what the time frame is. And I, I don't want you to be in fear. I want you to walk in faith. But at the same time, I want you to live ready. As you've got your head bowed and your eye closed and you're asking yourself those questions, I want you to do business with the Lord right where you stand. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I would change that. I'm going to make that. I want you to go ahead and make a covenant in your heart. I'm going to, I'm going to deal with that. I'm going, to go, I'm going to start making moves towards that. Now, as you've got your head bowed and your eye closed, if you're in this place today and you're not a Christian, in fact, you, you come to the conclusion, man, what i got to get ready is i got to get myself ready with the Lord. You have a broken relationship with Jesus. Maybe you used to know him as a kid or years ago, but life happened. You just got busy. You walked away from the relationship. You, in fact, you're not confident if you died today, you'd go to heaven. You don't really know him. You know of him. You know some of the stories. Maybe you grew up in church and you know a lot about him, but you don't know him. He's not your friend. You can't honestly say he's your best friend. Friend, I got good news for you. Today's your day of miracles. Jesus loves you and he wants a relationship with you. You say, oh, pastor, you don't know what all I've done. You don't know. I don't, I don't think Jesus wants me. Back. I just came today because a friend asked me because my, my mom begged me or, you know, because my girlfriend said, listen, let, let me tell you something. You don't know God because his love is deep. There is no end to his source of love. There's no end to his source of forgiveness where you and I stop and say, yeah, nah, you're not going to mishandle me no more. I'm done forgiving you. He keeps going and keeps going and keeps forgiving. That's the kind of love that only God can have. That's why he's God and we are not. Today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're not a Christian, if you're away from God, you used to be a Christian and you want to come home, I'd like to pray with you. I'd like to introduce you back to Jesus. No one's looking around. It'll just be me and you. Me, you, and Jesus. And I want to connect you. It'd be like being at a party and I walk over to you and grab you and drag you over to my best friend and introduce you to each other. And you guys start a relationship right then and there. That's what I want to do today. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that's what I want to help you do today. With no one looking around, if you're not a Christian, if you're away from God, you want to come home, I want to pray with you. Would you acknowledge that by just lifting your hand and saying, Pastor, that's me. Pray with me. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. God bless you. I see your hands. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. God bless you so much. Some real people doing real business with a real God. You can put it back down. Is there anyone else? Give you about three or four more seconds. Been a number of you already. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm away from the Lord. I want to come home. You say, what does that mean? Do I have to give money to the church? No. Have to do 25 Hail Marys? No. He's done it all. He paid your penalty. He paid what you were supposed to pay. He died on a cross forgiving all of our sins. He paid. All we have to do is receive. Is there anyone else? About two more seconds. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to be right with the Lord. I want to come back to the Father. Anyone else? Amen. All hands are down. Now, those of you that lifted your hand, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Just a connecting prayer. Just a connecting prayer. I'm just going to connect you to the Father. Through Jesus Christ. He's going to cleanse you and forgive you right here. 
start a new relationship with him all over again. In fact, I'd like everyone in the audience to pray this out loud with those who lifted their hands. Those of you lifted your hand, mean this with all of your heart. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I surrender my life, my desires, my future. I put in your hands and I declare I love you. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from all of it. Make me new. Write my name in your book of life. I belong to you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for every man and woman who just lifted their hand, who just said that prayer a minute from the depths of their heart. I pray right now they would sense forgiveness. Not religion. Not performance. Not they're going to try to go be good now. That they would realize that they are forgiven. And from that forgiven spot, embrace a relationship with you with all the messiness of trying to figure out how to serve you and love you and dying to our own desires that are going to happen over the next few weeks and months and years and just embrace that they are loved by you. Lord, may they feel it like a warm blanket that comes over them right now. Feel the power of the Holy Spirit surging through their veins. They're not alone. That you now fill them with your Holy Spirit. Now if you just reach over for me across the room and grab the hand of that person next to you. And I want to close out with this type of praying that every one of us would not be waiting at home for the Messiah. That every one of us would be watching, watching from the bank of the river, waiting and watching, believing that this could be the day. What would you do differently tomorrow if you knew tomorrow afternoon Jesus was coming back? What if you and I lived with expectation that the end of it all is upon us at any moment? What if we all lived as though this could be our final day? I tell you, we'd love deeper. I tell you, we'd have deeper relationships. I tell you, we'd pray more. We, we, we would interact with Jesus much more. We wouldn't forget about him the moment we jumped in the car and turned on our country music. I tell you what we would do. We would immediately wake up and say, Jesus, today's your day. How can I make you great in the earth? Father, I pray right now for every man and woman in our church. I thank you right now in Jesus' name that each and every one of them, Lord God, are going to live every day as if this is the day. That, Lord God, we're going to live ready just what you asked us to do, just what you commanded us to do, just what you said we should do. And, Jesus, that none of us are going to be caught as though we, as though a thief has come upon us. That we are the believers of the living God. And, Lord, I rebuke every bit of fear. Lord God, I will not, I will not use sinful tactics to motivate your people to live holy. Lord, just the opposite, Lord God. I think in faith they can stand and say, and I'm good. God loves me and I love him. And at every moment of the day, I'm going to enjoy him and deepen my relationship. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that as we live ready, that we'll receive every day the goodness of you, your winks, Lord God, your hugs, Lord God, your hand in our hand, your, your, your voice into our head, into our mouth, oh God. And that we may, Lord God, make you great on the earth. And that all the peoples of the earth will not be able to, that none will be able to say, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know there was a living God. Oh, that we, Lord God, would make your name great on the earth. And we call these things as done in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen.